0: Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Jack Baca, and this is the eighth lesson in our study of Paul's letter to the Romans during the winter and spring of 2021. This is the study for the week of February 28th, and we are looking at Romans 7, verses 7 through 25. Now let's put ourselves in the context of where we are, of course, Paul is writing a letter to the church in Rome as a way of introducing his fundamental understanding of Christian faith and life. He wants to do that so that they will receive him, welcome him, and then perhaps also support him as he continues on past Rome to the West to take the gospel to other parts of the Roman Empire. As he writes, Paul gives us what most people consider to be uh, the... Uh, the best, the most concise, and the most thorough description of fundamental Christian theology, especially for the first century period. And so Romans is one of those letters to which we always return as we are thinking about our faith today. In this particular section of Romans, Paul has been talking about our death to sin and the new life that we have in Jesus Christ. He has brought in many different images and theological concepts, some coming from out of his Jewish background, to try to describe what a relationship with God through Christ is all about. He has talked about the fact that baptism is a sign of our identification with Christ, that in baptism we die to an old way of life, we are washed of our sins, and we rise to a new way of life. He talks a lot about the fact that Christians experience a change in their lives, not just in their thinking and feeling, but also in their doing, in their being, in the way that they live life in the world. He wants to talk about the fact that Christians are free now to be bound to Christ. We are no longer enslaved to sin. We are no longer bound to being our own gods or following some other philosophy or way of life, which leads to death, by the way. But now we are bound to something new. We are in a tight and, and uh, in a sense, an inextricable relationship with Jesus Christ. And it is in that relationship where we find our highest freedom. Paul has pointed out that Our slavery, if you will, to sin, our bondage to sin, does not work. It does not lead us to abundant life here. It certainly does not lead us to eternal life when this life is over. And so Christians focus on maintaining the discipline of staying in a relationship with Christ and continually uh, battling back the the reach of sin into our lives and remaining obedient to Christ. And it's in a way, Paul says, uh, like uh, being married to someone new. We have a new spouse, someone to whom we are bound now forever, of course, Jesus Christ. In all of this conversation, Paul is talking about where the law of God comes in, and we're going to be discussing that even more today. And so you might look at this whole section of Romans as being a discussion of the law and our sin and then God's grace expressed in Jesus Christ. Now let's keep that in our heads as we read this next section of Romans again, chapter 7, verses 7 through 25. What then should we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet. If the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin... Seizing an opportunity in the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died, and the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity in the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and just and good. Did what is good, then, bring death to me? By no means. It was sin, working death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into slavery under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good, but in fact it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, But I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind I am a slave to the law of God, but with my flesh I am a slave to the law of sin. Well, friends, this is admittedly a very complex argument. It is a very complex understanding and description of our relationship to the law and to ourselves and the spirit and flesh and all of those other things. Don't let it scare you away. Keep studying, keep thinking, and let's study and think about it some more right now. Part of what Paul is trying to describe is the relationship that a person has with the law of God. Let's understand what Paul means by the law. Now, Paul was a Pharisee, you remember. Paul, as a Jew growing up, had studied the law up one side and down the other, we would say. And as such, he was very knowledgeable about it, but also very concerned about how this understanding and this presence of God's law was to be understood now in terms of the freedom that he felt in knowing Jesus Christ. That's really what Paul is struggling with. And by struggling, I don't mean that he does not win that victory, but that's the, the question that he's talking about. You see, When Paul talks about the law, we also have to understand that Paul is talking about things like the Ten Commandments. That's really the basis of all of God's law. But it was more than just the Ten Commandments. It was all of the other commandments and understandings of God that came out of, that were born from the root of those Ten Commandments. and. When a good Jew in Paul's day, and even today, talks about the law, they're talking about the history of God's people. Paul would look at Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, some of the earlier books of the, of the Old Testament, and, and say that this is all the law of God. This is the revelation of who God is and how we are to live. And so Paul wants to talk about this next question then, about whether or not the law itself is sinful. You see, Paul has experienced a release from the law, if you will, or a fulfillment of the law. And so he's now uh, helping us understand what the function of God's law actually is and then how the law is corrupted, how it is uh, perverted, if you will, how it is uh, turned into something that it was never meant to be. Paul says that sin uses the law because the law itself is weak. Let's understand what that's about. You see, when God says to us, here is the way things are, here is how I have meant for you to live, here are the commandments, if you will, the rules by which life was made to function, we begin to think that if we simply fill those requirements If we check off the boxes and say, well, I've never murdered anyone, I've never lied to anyone, then that is what it means to have life with God, and God owes us the good life. God even owes us our ticket into heaven, if you will. But that's not the function of the law. The law is meant to be, in a sense, God's guidebook, God's directions for how to live life. This is what life is all about. But God has given us life in the first place. And of course, we cannot fulfill the law completely. Paul's already talked about that in Romans. And so it's a mistake to think that we can fulfill the law. It's also a mistake to think that even if we did fulfill the law, that God would owe us something. Because fundamentally, we owe everything to God. We do not cause our existence to be. And so the God who causes it is the one who gives us everything. Paul sees that sin, in some sense, is a a mistaken idea, a mistaken allegiance, a mistaken way of understanding everything. That's what sin is about. And so sin makes us look at the law and say, oh, the law functions in this way. No, that's not the way the law functions. As a good Pharisaical Jew, that's what Paul believed. Paul believed that you actually could fulfill the law and the commandments of God and therefore earn God's righteousness. No, we cannot do it, Paul has said. So we depend then on something else for our relationship with God. Paul believes that sin has complete power over us that we can't even see our sin. We don't even know that we're lost unless something enters into life to teach us otherwise, to prove to us otherwise. In Paul's own life, before he met Jesus Christ, he thought he was fulfilling the law. He thought that he was righteous, but he learned that he actually was opposing God. He was persecuting God's people. He was denying the reality and power and presence of God's Messiah in Jesus Christ. And that's just how strong sin actually can be. We can think we are righteous, and we are the exact opposite of that. And so Jesus breaks the power of sin. He reveals what true righteousness is actually all about. And when you read about Jesus' life, when you read his words, when you study his actions, when you immerse yourself in an understanding of the people to whom Jesus was speaking and why he said and did what he did, you begin to realize that Jesus was saying to the Jews, look, you've gotten it all wrong when it comes to fulfilling the law of God. Fulfilling the law of God is not about checking off the boxes. It's about loving people. It's about serving people. It's about believing and knowing that you're never going to satisfy God based on what you do, and you don't have to because God already loves you. And so Jesus' life and then his death and resurrection enable us to break the power of sin. It's not really we who have broken that power. It is God. God breaks the power of sin, and we participate And that release from sin as we repent, as we open our eyes to the truth that Christ teaches us, as we receive God's forgiveness, and then, and this is important, and then as we begin to live that new life, relying on the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit to teach us correctly so that we begin to act correctly in a way that does, in fact, then fulfill the law. Remember, Jesus said that he came to fulfill the law not to abolish it. And so the law is a good thing if we use it appropriately. Looking just at the Ten Commandments, not any of the rest of it. To live your life according to the Ten Commandments is to live according to God's way that that he created for us in the world. It's a good thing not to murder people. It's a good thing not to lie to people and all the rest. That's how life is meant to work. And so what can you and I take from this passage? Well, of course, we should be filled of, with gratitude. We, we need to be thankful. We need to be happy that, that God has done something in Jesus Christ to show us how we were using God's law incorrectly and how we could use it correctly, that Christ, through his love, through his power over death, actually breaks the power of sin. You see, Paul understood as, when I say Paul, again, remember, I'm talking about classic Christian theology here. This is not just one guy talking, okay? This is God speaking to us. Paul believed that the power of sin was such that it led us completely away from God and that going away from God is our death. And so coming back to God is our life, both here and now and then. Later, when this life is over and God gives us new and eternal life with him. Paul is warning us that if we look back to what our old lives were like before Christ, if we say, you know, uh, before Christ, I was doing just fine. I thought I was a pretty good person, and therefore everything was going to be okay. And Paul has now said, no, it's not about your being a good person or not. It's about your being a holy and righteous person, a great person, if you will, who finally understands that you don't have the power to break sin, only God has that power, and with God's power, then you begin to live a life that is moving away from sin. We begin to move away from depending on our own goodness and seeking the goodness of God. And then when we do, when we actually begin to admit to God in complete and absolute humility, and trust in God's way, then we begin to see, if you will, the error of our ways and the superiority of God's ways, and we begin to want, actually, what God wants. Paul talks in this section of chapter 7 about the fact that the good that he wants to do, he doesn't do. The evil that he does not want to do, he does. He talks about that in a sense of as if we are trapped in our sin. And even when we try to do the best thing, it ends up sometimes not being the right thing. What Paul means to say by all of that is that we must continually come back to God and not necessarily think that we have it all right. God will begin to convict us. God will begin to convince us and to show us what actually leads to life. And again, we bring all of that back to Jesus. I've learned in my lifetime, if there's a better way, I'd love for someone to tell me, but I've learned in my lifetime that the best way to correct my thinking, the best way to evaluate my decisions and my actions, the best way to try to guide my own life according to the way that God would have it lived, is first of all to rely on God's love, second of all to rely on God's forgiveness, And then third, to do that hard work of continually bringing everything that is in me and what I think and believe and do, and say, is this of Jesus? Would Jesus do this? Would Jesus think this? Is this the way Jesus treated people? Is this the way Jesus lived his life? Jesus said he fulfilled the law. The law itself is a good thing, and I want to follow someone who actually has fulfilled the law of God. Jesus has fulfilled that law, not because he was trying to earn God's love. He already was God. Not because he was trying to prove how much better he was than everybody else. He said that we could be like him. But Jesus fulfilled the law as a living demonstration and example of who we can be as we trust him. That's what it means to be filled by the power of Christ, is actually to trust him. That can be hard to do because we're continually pulled back by the power of sin to say, yeah, Jesus might have done that, but it won't work in this circumstance. Or I'm not so sure that Jesus lived in the kind of world that that I live in right now. Now can't have any of that. I struggle with that too. That's why I know that you struggle with it. But that is the Christian life. Is it not the life of being disciplined and continually coming back to Jesus, 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 who proved God's love for us and who showed us how to live our lives? Now, I'd like to go on. We could talk about this for hours, but we don't have those hours right now. We do have the time, all of us, as you have taken the time, to spend this little bit of time thinking about this section of Romans with me. I hope that all of you are finding a way to discuss these things further with others who are on the same journey with Jesus. As you think about this section, think about how it is that you come back to Jesus. Think about how it is that that you learn and understand about Jesus. And then ask Jesus, who is a living and present God, active in our lives, if we will see it, if we will believe it, ask Jesus to show you his way, and he will. Amen.